Hey everyone, Dr. Pat and I would personally like to invite you to join us in our Grow My Baby program. This is week-by-week pregnancy and birth information developed from our experience of helping more than 4,000 women grow and birth their babies. All our links are on our website, growmybaby.com.au. The information in this podcast is provided for education and research information only. It is not a substitute for professional health advice. If you're trying to get pregnant, or you are pregnant, and you feel a little bit overwhelmed by all you need to know, then this is the right podcast for you. Welcome to the show. I'm Bridget Maloney. And I'm obstetrician Dr. Patrick Maloney. And this is The Kick, your expert-led podcast that delivers the essentials of growing a baby. Make sure you head to our website, growmybaby.com.au, to get some awesome free tools like our Pregnancy Knowledge Checker to help you feel like you got this. Hello everyone, I'm Bridget Maloney. And I'm obstetrician Dr. Patrick Maloney. And this is the Kick Pregnancy Podcast. Welcome to the show. Welcome back everyone. And today we're going to do another Q&A, Pat. Good. I love Q&A. Good, I like Q&As too. <laughs> yep. And we're it's actually- easy because it's like I'm just at work. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, some of these are tricky, so they might yeah. catch you out. All right. Let's see how we go. All right. All right. I'm, we'll start off with um, someone who wants to be anonymous, which is absolutely fine by us. Let's take a listen. Hi, Dr. Pat and Bridget. I'm a long-time listener and huge fan of you guys. Thank you for all your great info that you share. I'm currently trying for our third baby. I have a five and a two-and-a-half-year-old, and I've just got on my period after our first month of trying. With both of my older boys, I fell pregnant in the first month. I'm 30 years old. I have a fairly regular cycle between 25 and 27 days. I've been tracking ovulation and timing sex within the fertile window. I can't help but feel a little bit disappointed and upset after not falling the first month this time. I know this seems really selfish as couples can try for a very long time and have to seek additional help to fall pregnant. So I'm aware this may be a triggering question. But is there anything I should be worried about? If you're having well-timed sex, you're ovulating and all of your ducks are in a row, can it still take a year to fall pregnant? And why do some, quote, perfect months just not result in a pregnancy? Thanks again and really appreciate your advice on this for all of us overthinkers out there. (laughs) (laughs) She admits she's an overthinker. I'm glad she identified herself as an overthinker. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Because this is actually something that we see a bit. The pattern that the that our uh, anon anon is describing, of course, is absolutely normal, mm. and by far the most likely thing that's wrong is nothing at all. Mm. The the history that she's had of getting pregnant in the first cycle twice has created, I think, a slightly un- unrealistic expectation that that's the way it always goes. Where of course it it it, it doesn't go that way every time. But there's n- everything, everything else that she describes suggests normal ovulatory cycles. So we just, we just, we just wait. We're just mm. patient. And just by chance, in the first two pregnancies, she's got pregnant in the first cycle, which is awesome. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, and yeah. fantastic. Um, but but uh, that doesn't mean that there's anything wrong if it takes longer than one month. Yeah. Um, the next time. You know, she mentioned why sometimes these perfect months, and people do, do describe that. They just say perfectly regular cycle the perfect day to conceive fell on a saturday night uh we you know half the time my uh partner works in a gold mine in western australia but this time he was home everything was right and it still didn't work mm. and i think that this is a reminder that that, that the process just uh, needs need some time and 
much more important than getting pregnant or not pregnant in one cycle, in, in any one cycle, is to understand the sort of the limits of normality. And the limits of normality, like how many, when do we, when do we seek help, that's based on some pretty tried and true statistics that say that a, a healthy couple with no fertility problems, the longer it takes them to get pregnant, the more likely something is to be wrong. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that um, if you and, – and that sort of see the doctor after a, a year rule is just based on the fact that, that more than 80% of couples will be pregnant after a year if everything's normal. You just get that many rolls of the dice, if you like, that your number will come up eventually. Mm. And if your number never comes up, there might be a problem underlying it. So a year if everything's fine and six months if there's a history of problems. Mm. Yeah. It does point out, you know, the the mental pressure we put on ourselves yeah, that's, that's trying for a, a pregnancy. And, you know, I think that should be a podcast topic. I think maybe we should talk about the the time that you spend stressing and, and as Anon said, overthinking um, yeah. and what's that doing to you, your uh, day-to-day joy. Yep. Mm. So I think that um, if I could give you know any advice, it would be to remember that the fertile window is actually pretty brief and the rest of the month, there you go, just got to wait till next time. So concentrating on the things that make you happy in the rest of the time. Yeah. Relationships, the family we've already got, exercise, fresh air, um, uh, healthy eating, uh, not smoking, drinking less, mm. and, um, and, and go again the next time. And your partner too. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, great. Well done, Anon, and good luck. And perhaps by the time you listen to this, you might have a different uh, story to tell. Let us know. <laughs> and also, you must be an avid listener to the uh, kick because uh, I think she pretty much quoted you about um, ducks in a row. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It's an old-fashioned expression, isn't it, ducks isn't in it? a row? Isn't but, it? But uh, it's a good one. All right. Now, I've been asked to read this one um, from a uh, listener, and her name is Hannah. She starts off by saying how great we are, so thank you. Um, <laughs> but she's also trying to start... Uh, she's hoping to start trying for a baby within the next year. Good. She's wanting to give her body the best chance. Yep. So her questions are, one, how or why do I still have monthly PMS without a period with my Marina IUD? Ah. Does this mean I'm ovulating whilst, whilst I have my IUD? And so could I start tracking symptoms even before my IUD is out? Yep. Mm-hmm. And you want the second question already or well, you yeah, want to answer give, that? No, give us the rest. All right. Yep. Two, I plan to have my IUD removed in the next month or so mm-hmm. so I can get a true picture of my cycle. Good. Are there any best ways to regulate my natural progesterone and all the fertility hormones for that matter as I've been on various contraceptions consecutively for 12 years now? Mm-hmm. So I'm a little worried everything will be out of sync for a while. These are two cracking questions and dear to my heart. Uh the first one's pretty easy. Yeah, you might have a natural cycle going on behind the scenes. Remember, the marina is really designed to work in the... So the, the, the marina's the IUD with five years' worth of progesterone in it. The progesterone is secreted in a little daily dose out of the IUD and into the uterine lining. It work, It has a number of contraceptive effects, but mostly by making the uterus inhospitable to an implanted pregnancy, making the tubes stand still so the egg and the sperm are never likely to uh, meet up, and mm, some changes in cervical mucus and so forth. But it doesn't always inhibit ovulation. It's not the pill. That's how the pill works, right? But the marina doesn't work that way. So, you know, those of us who use a lot of uh, marinas and do a lot of ultrasounds will see the ovary doing its thing in the background. And yes, some people have a pretty convincing 
background cycle that suggests that the ovaries are working normally. They may even actually be ovulating. And the hormones involved in that normal uh, cycle going on behind the scenes are the ones that run the PMS. But there's no actual bleeding because the marina has made the lining of the uterus so thin that there's no blood to Nothing to lose. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so she could start tracking then? Well, well yes. Um, I'm not sure exactly what the point of that really would be. Um, but if the PMS symptoms seem to be regular, suggesting a regular under, underlying ovarian cycle, then that's good news. That is good news because mm. if she's worried that she's been on uh, contraception for 12 years yeah. but is still noticing those symptoms, then... Yeah. Well, that brings us to the next question. Oh, sorry. Yeah, which, well, well, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're linked, aren't they? The, the next question is another interesting one because it, it hints at a common misunderstanding, and that is that if I've been on contraception for a long time, will it take a long time for my fertility return when I come off it? And does that have any long-term effect on my cycle? The simple answer is usually no. Um, it can take a little bit of time for a period to come back after prolonged pill use, but mo- you can get pregnant for missing one pill. Mm. Okay, so we know that in the vast majority of women, the cycle is there, ready and primed to come back the minute we take away the contraceptive effect. And this is one of the reasons why we see uh, sometimes in young women who stop the pill just to give your body a break, mm. that the most common consequence of that unfortunately can be an unwanted pregnancy because the, 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 there is no hangover period for most people. Fertility usually returns straight away. Mm. And we've just done an episode on that, so go back and listen to the one about um, I've stopped the pill, now where's my period? I think that will give some tips too. Absolutely, yeah. and we'll clarify that even more. The thing, you know, as to as you know, I'm gonna if I'm gonna take the marine IUD out to see what's going on with my cycle. I think that's a fine plan, but only for someone who's ready to be pregnant right now. Yeah, and Hannah says within the next year. Well, I always like people to have a little bit of a think about this because what I recommend with Marina, in particular, because return to normal fertility is so fast, like immediate, that you shouldn't have it out until you're actually ready to be pregnant. Mm. Yeah, because let's say you have the IUD taken out and there's a problem with the underlying cycle, we'll, we'll deal with that then. Yeah, but there really is no um, great wisdom, I think, in taking away a perfectly good contraceptive unless you're ready to be pregnant, because the underlying cycle is very, very likely to be there and good to go. Especially if you had a normal cycle before you ever went on contraception in the first place. The people who perhaps had PCOS as a teenager, overweight acne, excess body hair, and there was no no normal cycle. If that person goes on the pill for ten years and comes off the pill, they've probably still got PCOS, and the and the and their abnormal cycle is probably waiting to come back. But perfectly normal cycle as a young person, go on the pill for contraception. Uh, as a teenager, take it for 10 years, come off it, your normal cycle is good to go. Yeah. Good question, Hannah. Thank you for that. Um, alrighty. So we're going to move on to our next one, which is also a uh, anonymous. Hi. I was just wondering if you could spread some light on male fertility, some do's and don'ts in order to get the best sperm quality and when you should look at getting your sperm tested. My partner and I have currently been trying for seven months and while I think I've got everything covered on my side, he's the other half of the ingredients. So I was just wondering what's the best thing that men can do in order to have good quality sperm. Thank you. Fantastic question. 
Excellent. We haven't actually covered male fertility in any of our podcasts. We should do a whole thing on it. The whole thing, yeah. All right, good. We'll do that. So this is this is a brief dot point. Yeah, um, yeah. Good. One for you, Anon. The the big ticket things are to you know to, to, to improve to get things going as good as possible is to not smoke, to drink less, and be wary of a history of genital surgery. So um, if your partner ever had a surgery as a child for hernia especially a hernia that went down into the scrotum, or a varicose vein in the scrotum called a varicose seal, or a secret vasectomy, or a... Yeah, that's a We've joke. had one of those. <laughs> that was a joke. Um, or a prolonged illness or an illness that's known to affect fertility, such as cystic fibrosis. Okay? Now, they're things that you, know, you would know. Assuming everything, all of that's nil and we don't think that there's anything else that can be done, then the appropriate time to do the uh, sperm test is when the couple come forward for a fertility assessment. So that would be 12 months of trying for an otherwise healthy couple or six months of trying if you're in the six-month group, e.g. woman has a history of pelvic pain. And the right way to do that is to do the investigation simultaneously. So we don't uh, put anyone through anything too drastic unless we've checked the partner as well. Mm. And so is that with their GP or their local doctor or do they need a referral to a specialist for that? Well, it can be done through the local doctor and um, it's not, uh, you know, it's not, not difficult. But um, by, the, by that stage, the couple would often be seeing a gynecologist or a fertility specialist of some description. Yeah. Good. Well, I hope that that's a, you know, a brief answer to that, Anon, but we're going to come back with a, um, a podcast on that. Very soon. I think that'd be good. Mm, mm. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, I'm going to read the next one, um, and it's from Eva. Hi, just started listening to your podcast. It's amazing. My partner and I want to start trying in the next six months. My menstrual cycle is 40 to 44 days long. I don't know where to start to seek help. I also have epilepsy, which I take regular medication. My neurologist says the meds shouldn't make a difference. I don't know if this question is too complicated, but just don't know what which step to take. Thank you. Excellent. You're listening to The Kick with Dr. Pat and Bridget. How many times have you Googled something about your pregnancy? When I was pregnant all the time, Dr. Pat. (laughs) We get it. You may be confused or overwhelmed. It's normal to want information, but where's the reliable stuff from experts? Yeah. Now, if you like our podcast... Dr. Pat and I have developed an online program to help guide you through whatever stage of pregnancy you're at. It's taken us literally two years to put it together. Two long, hard years, wasn't it? (laughs) But, you know, it is a game changer in how pregnancy information is given. Now, how it works is uh, you get to sign up at whatever stage of pregnancy you're at. Like, So you could be pre-pregnant, in your very early stages of pregnancy, late pregnancy, preparing for birth, or maybe you've just brought your baby home. And you get lots of information around that. And then you also get to join our closed Facebook group. We've called in all our contacts too. So we've got a dietitian, an anaesthetist, physiotherapist. Sonographer. Yeah, who else? A pediatric nurse, obstetrician, mother of four. Oh, just all the people you need to hear from. So if that's you, come and join us at www.growmybaby.com.au. This is another good one, isn't it? Because it, um, it, it brings up a few things that are dear to our heart and uh, the subject of previous uh, podcasts. Uh, number one is the importance of a preconception visit to the GP 
if we are if we have some sort of ongoing health condition. And most people got something, you know. So for this person, um, there's some really relevant stuff. Some of the epilepsy epilepsy medications are not safe for pregnancy. So we want to clarify with the neurologist that the one we're on now is super good for pregnancy or there's a clear plan to change from the one we're on now to the other one the minute we're pregnant. But none a medication... Uh, epilepsy medication, would that be impacting on her fertility? No, just the safety of the pregnancy once you got pregnant. Yeah, yeah. okay. And then some of the uh, anti-epileptic medications work in a way that can affect folate metabolism. So some people on some drugs might want to be on a higher dose of folate, uh, five milligrams rather than the rather than the 500 microgram dose. And these are the things that can be sorted out so much better in advance. Yeah, good. And then what else? Oh, yeah, she also mentioned the, the long cycle. Long cycle, yeah. yeah. So the long cycle is interesting. That might be an ovulatory cycle if it's always about 40 to 44 days long. But if some are 44 and some are 28 and some are 64 and some are 17, then they're probably anovulatory no-egg cycles. It raises a good point because the, the day that we normally do a blood test to see if we're ovulating, is uh, a day 21 progesterone mm. test, about seven days before the expected period. And that's when you would test it in a 28-day cycle. But in a 44-day cycle or 40-day cycle, we might actually do a, a day 33 progesterone yeah, test. Yeah, right. Yeah. So should she start sort of tracking her cycle yeah. and go with that evidence to her doctor? Absolutely. And say, you know, this is to sort of show that... It is actually a regular cycle, 40 to 44 days. Yep. Yeah, so yep. for them to know to do a 33. Yeah, so the progesterone test, as a blood test, should be done later in the cycle if mm. the cycle is long because it's a luteal phase progesterone. We want the progesterone taken during the period between ovulation and the start of the next menstruation. And that period is typically two weeks long. So if your cycle is 44 days long, then you may actually be ovulating on day 30 and the right time to take the progesterone test might be day 33, 34. Mm. Uh, My question was more about would a GP or a local doctor know to do that? Well, some yes and some no. Um, So I think if you present this to a local doctor and there's a blank look on their face, then you may actually need an assessment by a a specialist uh, gynecologist or a reproductive uh, doctor of some description you know, up front. Mm. I do see people who've had who have long cycles who've been um, concentrating intercourse around day fourteen mm. and in their long cycle they haven't come close to ovulating by day fourteen. Yeah. Day fourteen is for the twenty eighth day cycle. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that's made this possible to do at home and not have to not ha- not need anyone's help really is those ovulation predictor kits. Mm. Because if you keep if you buy a whole stack of those and just keep using them as you approach the latter half of the cycle, then they'll go negative, 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 positive, mm. and you can and you can find that day, the prime ovulatory day, no matter how late it is in the cycle. Have we got time for one more? Yeah. Yeah, good. I'll do one more. And if your question hasn't been answered, uh, don't fret. We will get to them. And also we've got some reels planned because some of the questions can be answered quickly. Um, So we'll do some reels or some um, Instagram posts. So head on to our Instagram page, which is at the Kick Pregnancy Podcast. Very original. Shouldn't get that one wrong. (laughs) All right. Here we go. Here's our last one, Patty. 
Hi, Dr. Pat and Bridget. Um, my question was that um, I've had people tell me that when you go for a cesarean that they take your insides out, meaning like your stomach and your intestines. Um, I wouldn't think in 2023 that the doctors would actually take it out of my body um, rather than you know, push it to the side to pull the baby out. Um, so I'm sure other first-time mums probably have this question as well. Um, hopefully you guys can give a bit of insight. Um, I feel like there's a lot of stigma around women having planned cesareans or choosing to have cesareans. So um, a little, maybe an episode just purely on cesareans would be great. Um, I have listened to most of the episodes on your podcast and I am loving it. Thank you. I don't know. Do do people, You don't pull people's insides out, do no, you? No, we don't pull people's inside out. A cesarean section can be, you know, a difficult operation because usually the woman is awake and also we do things to her insides and give drugs that cause nausea. If you're asleep, you're not going to cough, but cough. But if you're awake and we do something that causes nausea so that you vomit or try to vomit or cough, then it raises the pressure on, in your insides. And if we've got the your, your abdominal wall cut open to get the baby out and a cough or a vomit happens at the wrong moment, then a loop of small bowel will, will definitely shoot out of the incision. Um, and we just grab a wet pack and put, push it back in. Okay, so that that's it's kind of a real thing, but we don't we don't take anything anything out on purpose. Do you think somebody who I've never thought this, I've never been told this, but do you think this person perhaps um, Katrina has heard someone say that because perhaps they've seen that in an operating theatre or something like that? Uh, yeah, possibly may have may have a friend who works in an operating theatre and has seen that happen. Mm. Yeah, so certainly it can happen, um, and. It, you know, it's one of the small downsides to having the patient awake, but of course, that's outweighed by all the great things about the woman being awake, yeah. so she can so she can see the birth and experience experience the cesarean section birth. Uh, but yeah, if the pressure, if you know, if we've got the belly open and the pressure goes up, um, it's not the stomach; it, it it's the small bowel, the wriggly, the the big long section of wriggly bowel, mm. and you know, it'll find its way out the wound if we let it. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so um, sometimes it's a matter of experience and uh, surgical technique just to make sure that we hold those things back. But usually we don't encounter anything except the pregnant uterus. As soon as you open that belly, all you can see is uterus. Just uterus, yeah, because yeah. it's so low down and so where you and actually big. do the incision, there's yeah. nothing much else there to no. be in the way. So the first thing you see when you open the abdominal wall is bladder and we, we push the bladder down towards your feet and uh, and then open the uterus just behind where the bladder was. Then the, f- the next thing that comes out is all the water from around the baby, then the baby, and then the placenta. But then what happens is the uterus contracts right down because it's not full of the baby and the water and the placenta anymore and goes from a watermelon down to about a grapefruit and that's when uh, there can be extra room for bowel to sneak around if we're not, oh, yeah. if we're not careful. That makes sense. It's sort yeah. of like that negative... Negative uh, space that yeah, makes you feel for something. Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah. So bowel creeps into that space anyway because there's no empty space on our insides once you're sewn up. But before you're sewn up, yep, a bit of bowel can sneak around the corner unless we're careful. And all that needs is a wet, warm pack, put on it and push it back in. Mm. It might help, Katrina. On our Instagram uh, Instagram again, we recently put a, a reel of one of Pat's patients having a maternal-assisted caesarean. And you can actually see 
see the site, can't you? You can yeah, see, you can where, see yeah, a yeah. fair bit. Yeah, yeah you can yeah. see a fair bit. And that's tip. What you can see in that video is typical. Yeah. 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 Actually, I did have somebody ask me, <laughs> they, they were like, what the hell is that ring thing? <laughs> they hadn't seen a caesarean with, you know, you've got a ring. Oh, that's, yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's the retractor that just sort of holds the skin and the muscles back. Yeah, so you can do that either by that or by the actual retractors. Yeah, we used to use steel retractors mm. and then they invented those beautiful plastic Alexis retractors. Right. And they're very gentle on the tissue. Yeah, I could imagine. Yeah, and you don't have to cut anything. You just, we have to cut the skin, obviously. But you don't have to cut anything else. That You just make your way through with what's called blunt dissection, just using your fingertips to go down through the tissue mm. and then uh, make a hole and then that retractor pushes everything very nicely and gently out of the way mm. minimizes trauma yeah um, and it also means you can have fewer hands in there yeah particularly handy if you do the se- if you're doing the caesar in the middle of the night and you've got a scrub nurse and an anesthetist and a pediatrician but no assistant yeah um so uh, uh the, the, those retractors are beautiful mm. keep everything out of the way and and um very kind and gentle to the tissue and we are going to do a planned cesarean podcast coming up very soon yeah i'm looking forward to that one because yeah. we just want to myth bust a few things yeah myth that's right i have yeah. Uh, yeah there's some myths that need busting yeah great all right well that's our q and a done for today Thank you very much for listening. I'm glad we could do that. I, yeah, I, yeah. I, there are, as you say, some of them will go well on the socials, but some are podcast. Yeah, we love hearing your voice. So if you want to have your voice added to the podcast, then you have to go to SpeakPipe. So you can find that on our website, which is actually growmybaby.com.au. Um, just go to the podcast section and there's a, a link there. It is actually in our profile on Instagram Perfect. as well. All right, everyone, we hope that you have a lovely week. Uh, we'll see you next week. Uh, Happy growing your babies. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you now.